Hi, this is And the Oscar Doesn't Go To. I'm Sam Melter, and on this podcast, a guest and myself will be discussing the films that received Best Picture nominations, yet not only failed to win that award, but didn't take home any trophies on Oscar night. Today, I will be joined by Matt Duffy. He is an expert in classic cinema and old Hollywood and uses that knowledge to make TikToks about it on an account where he has gained a lot of traction. Uh, So be sure to check it out. And thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. Today, we will be discussing William Wyler's Friendly Persuasion, which was released in 1956 and got six nominations. So why did you select this film out of, out of the films on the list? So um, full, uh, full context, I'm a huge Gary Cooper fan. And this was you know, one of the films on my list that I still wanted to see. And secondly, that year at the Oscars is such a crazy but interesting lineup. And I wanted to see what the big deal was about this film, especially competing against all these other great films. So those are my two big uh, reasons for watching it. And I'm a huge fan of William Wyler. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you're more positive about this year at the Oscars than I am, because I think it is crazy because you have all these epics in the best picture category and then something like this that's just been completely forgotten um but yeah overall I'm really not a fan of the films that were nominated in 1956 I think it's, they're it's just, a crazy year it, yeah there are just a lot of odd and not deserving choices I I don't get the love about around the world in 80 days I mean I understand why but I just don't yeah yeah, but I, I, I'm also a fan of William Wyler. He's certainly made a lot of movies. Um, and I think several that we'll be discussing in this podcast, several Best Picture winners, a lot of acting winners. So he was just an ingenue in, throughout several decades. So it's interesting to see the movies that he did that no one really remembers that still had a play in the Oscar race. Totally. Yeah. So just getting into the story... This movie is about a family who lives in Indiana in the suburbs in the 1860s. Um, And when the film opens, you see this little boy who's the son of the family who's sort of running around chasing um, this pet goose that they're all, that he really just has this, has gripes with and just hates this pet goose. (laughs) And the pet goose like bites his leg and he starts screaming and then the mom comes out uh, Dorothy McGuire. I think her character's name is Eliza. Mm-hmm. And she is this, she's a minister, very religious person. And, and this is a family who are Quakers. This is a religion. This is a group of people that I wasn't very familiar with before watching this film. Um, And essentially, these are people who are religious and and they believe in God, but they're very against violence and they want peace. Uh, And and you see that reflected a lot through that. That's what the story is rooted in. It's rooted in their the Quaker religion and how they deal with that with the war. Um, And like you see them sort of 
be a family a lot and, and go out to Sunday, the first Sunday, um, which is basically church and they meet. And while they're sharing positivity and sharing their Quaker views in church, um, the meeting is interrupted by an officer who asks and sort of threatens them and questions their religion and is discussing how these Quaker men are, are not suitable because there's a war going on and, and that they need to fight, but none of the Quaker men want to fight. None of them have the want the right to bear arms because of their religion. Um, and this provokes the people and sort of challenges their family specifically for the rest of the film. And that sort of like trickles on as the message. So what did you think of this setup? Um, you know, I really, I enjoyed the film. I, I liked it. Um, it. It reminded me almost of like a very pleasant, comforting film. You know, there was this kind of um, nicety to it. You know, it's a family story. And it's it, the beginning of the film almost reminded me of like those older live action Disney movies where it's mm -hmm. like, oh, happy family living the idyllic life. And then as the film goes on, you see everyone, you know, um, not so much the mom, but like the dad, Gary Cooper, and the three kids are all tempted by distractions from their faith, leading them away from the, this pacifist Quaker lifestyle. And I thought that was interesting. And then you get towards the end where finally there's a little bit of action. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think this set, it, it kind of reminds me of like, as you said, like that, those Disney live action movies from around this time and also something like Sounder. Um, yeah. It, it is very much that family or people who are at their most comfortable getting interrupted mm -hmm. um, by war or by something that differs from their views that is just surrounding them that they have, that they want to try and ignore, but can't. And I honestly, I like, I like the opening scene um, with the, with the, with the, the pet goose and sort of him being narrating, talking about how much he didn't like it. I thought that was kind of funny and cute and, and set this very playful tone yes. um, that this family is, is achieving for and their nonviolence views. Um, and I thought that really sort of made this a family film, even though it deals with topics of war and violence and questioning morality. I think it is a family film in a lot of ways and does have this, warm pleasant vibe to it a hundred percent yeah do you think that okay what do you think of the fact that they always say thee and thy because that was like something that i that really like i really noticed yes they always i always said that i wasn't i'm not familiar i wasn't familiar with the quaker um religion and that they're kind of um the things that they do. So I was, I was a little thrown off at first with the V and the, uh, that, the, all that kind of stuff. And doing some research, I realized like, that's all like, that's actually what they do. So I was like, oh, okay. All right. It, you know, it was a little distracting at first, but you know, the movie's what, two hours and 10 minutes, like 45 minutes. I kind of got used to it. Yeah. I didn't really get used to it because it always felt kind of unnatural when she said it because the rest of her dialogue flowed nicely. Yeah. At least in some regard. But when she said thee or thy, it was like, ugh. 
Like, yeah. Why does it sound like that? It was so weird. <laughs> and yes, of course, it's like partial to the time period. And I'm sure that's what people said. I don't know. It, it just feels kind of strange. Yeah. I, I just think from our lens, it... Uh, yeah, of course. It, yeah. I don't know. Well, getting onto Gary Cooper, who you seem to be a fan of. So he is this patriarchal figure of the family. Um, but he also faces conflicts because he loves doing fun activities like listening to music and dancing and riding horses that don't always um, be intact, are, are intact with the norms of the religion. And Dorothy McGuire and Gary Cooper, they're, they're, they also have a daughter along with the son who, adult, just like the rest of the family, she wants to be a Quaker. She wants to be very faithful to this religion and its views, but also is has fallen in love with an officer and that is against her mom and what she wants for her. So you have these people, aside from, I suppose, the mom and the son um, who are who they all want to be Quakers, but you have this dynamic where even though Gary Cooper's character and the daughter, they of course are, are very faithful to the religion and try to be, and they, they care about it. They still have things that are slightly holding them back in a way that even before the war comes into play, even before all these outside distractions sort of um, come to play as well, you see that these people are already struggling with it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and if I may add, I think the daughter, Maddie, if I'm correct, isn't the guy that she likes, isn't he not a Quaker? No, he's not, and I think that's why... That's another um, thing that kind of like... McGuire is not a fan. Yeah, so... And that was, I think, the part that I really liked about the film is that it showed them towing the line, I think, between, you know, do I follow my faith? Or, like, do you follow your head or go with your heart? That kind of stuff. Um... And yeah, especially what you said, even with the older son, Josh, who's Anthony Perkins, he, you know, he doesn't want to kill, but he feels this kind of patriotic sense of duty to enlist and fight for the union. Yeah, that was, that sort of plays later in the film. And I'm actually curious, well, not curious, but a little surprised that the Gary Cooper character is as faithful as he is and doesn't feel the way that Anthony Perkins' character does. Because it seems that Gary Cooper's character is very set on board with these ideas and he likes being the patriarch. Mm -hmm. But Anthony Perkins, again, just like the daughter and um, just like the daughter, he thinks that violence like can be right, even though that is the main idea of being a Quaker. Um, So as you mentioned, this is another character that just shows these little moments that hold people back. And I still think that's relevant in most religions and has been for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Especially cause you know, we even like growing up, you know, it's, you're always told violence is never the answer, but sometimes you just get that kind of like, oomph, I guess. Yeah. This urge that these people have. Lack of, like, and especially yeah. when it's this time that's, right during the civil war and right when there's a confederate army invading you're gonna have these thoughts and even if they don't align with the views that these people possess it's still powerful because you get to see this emotional struggle yeah um, 
totally. and, and sort of abiding to your family and your history versus how to react to an immediate situation. Mm -hmm. And then the next segment of the film essentially um, shows a situation in which they really have to question it, where the family goes to a carnival of sorts. And I don't know, do you want to sort of describe what happens here? Because there are a bunch of little moments of resistance and of holding back that we've been talking about during the scene. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, this was actually one of my favorite parts of the movie I actually really enjoyed because this was really where that temptation comes into play. You know, mom doesn't really want to go to the fair and they all, they end up going and it's like everyone kind of gets sidetracked. Maddie sees the boy that she likes and she starts to dance. Um, uh, Josh, who's Anthony Perkins, he's with his friend and they, they see fighting, the, the two guys fighting. And then you see um, Jess, who's Gary Cooper, and he uh, is with his friend and they look at the piano and he's like, maybe I'll buy the piano. Oh, wait, you're a Quaker? And like the guy that's selling him the piano is like, oh, I don't know if you want this. And it, it was just interesting because that's really where their faith, for lack of a better or punny to say, their faith is put to the test. Hmm. Yeah, again, it, it really just questions their morality and puts them yeah. in a situation that they want to follow up. They want to have fun. They want to engage in these social activities. Yeah. But their religion isn't necessarily preventing them from doing it all, but does put limits on it that they are not entirely comfortable with. Um, and they're also, as, as well as just being faced with all these options that they can't always take, they're also reminded that there are so many people fighting that are, that are close to them and that the Confederate army is just closer and closer to their town yes. um, and, is, and is ganging up on them. So it creates all this tension. And you have these interesting moments. Uh, I just think Dorothy McGuire in, in these scenes in particular, just her facial expressions reacting to something that she yes. can't do or can do um, strike that chord that you know, take, you know, adds the reality to it and makes this carnival, which is a seemingly light event, have more darkness than mm -hmm. it normally would. Yeah, it's almost like the, the carnival is the, going there kind of opens up a Pandora's box. Yes. And it's giving them all this opportunity, which they can't follow up on all of it. And it's kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that I suppose like a lot of this movie, I have to say, I think the biggest issue with this film is that it's way too long. Um, it, yeah, it, it, could it goes have been, on for it, way. I think it really could have been 105 minutes. Yeah, it could have. They could have cut like 20 minutes out. I think you just have a lot of scenes where a family is, is riding back and forth from town or, or they're just having conversations in their home that either get a little repetitive or just aren't as necessary to the story. I don't know how, did, how you felt about that, um, but I, th I think the length was what bothered me the most. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, it wasn't bad for me. I just felt like you could have trimmed it like 10 minutes. I think for me, a lot of it was because a lot like the climax really and the action doesn't really happen until like the last, like the third act. Yeah. So it's, it's very passive for like a good hour and a half. And then all of a sudden, you know, like this, the, the Confederate army is like approaching their town all of a sudden. It's like, oh, what do we do? So it's like, okay. And I think that also does demonstrate a form of realism because that is how people 
responded to this they were in a very passive calm style of life especially yeah. the quakers and then at the last moment that they would expect are hit with a sudden shock of violence and yeah. i think another just like in terms of climaxes just the first one is when you see all the smoke above their house yeah. and around them and that's when they realize like oh shit like we have to actually do something about, about this because our views are not going to let us survive if we keep perpetuating them when something like this is going on mm-hmm. yeah. i don't know and, and then you have this dynamic between the mom and the son and you have these argument scenes and these conversations about Anthony Perkins, again, perpetuating the fact that he needs to fight back at them because he wants them to stay safe and he wants them to keep believing in their Quaker views. Um, but she's like, no, we have to just stick to it. It'll be fine. Um, maybe not it'll be fine, but she's just really enforcing them. So what did you think of that? Yeah, I really enjoyed the, um, the scenes with Josh versus um, his mom and dad, especially like that one scene I, I bet you if they had clips, that was Anthony Perkins's like Oscar scene. Um, yeah, but yeah. probably. Yeah, because it's it's great because it really shows like his ter- his internal conflict, his turmoil. Yeah, and um, and they thought Dorothy McGuire was even great in those scenes as well. Like she really, she's got to be the stoic one who's like firmly on the ground. This is what we do. She she's very confident in her faith that she knows it will take her to a higher power. Mm. Yeah, you have all these people who are sort of going back and forth from whether whether or not they want to support each other or they they want to support God and the religion. And all these conversations really exemplify that because if you were to fight, if you were to act upon these violent thoughts, then his religion and his family wouldn't would it would feel threatened by him yeah. uh, and he doesn't want that again he, he's deep down inside he and outwardly he enforces that he wants to be a quaker and he loves his family so much um but that aspect of logic that you side with on this character does uh interfere with what he truly believes and i think it is very much shown in the parents' reactions, especially the mother, um, because she's the one who I think is the most religious. I think she's the one who's oh, yeah. followed up on most of the acts. I'm kind of surprised that Gary Cooper didn't have that much to do in the film. Yeah, and I it's funny that you said that because I was, you know, doing the research, reading about like the production of it, and you know, uh, just a little backstory. The it's based on a book by Jessamine West. And the rights for the book were bought by Frank Capra. And this was a vehicle he he had envisioned Bing Crosby in the part. Crosby passed on it and then Capra passed on it and then it got into Weiler's hands. Crosby suggested his friend Gary Cooper. And Cooper was kind of conflicted because he was an actor, he was a movie star. So he was, he wanted more action and after speaking with Jessamine West, she kind of convinced him is like the subtlety comes from your internal actions and that kind of stuff. But I like that he had that scene at the end where he finally kind of like fights back. Yeah, it's not like he has nothing to do. He does play the patriarch. Yeah. But considering that he was top billed and that he's promoted as this 
huge star of the film. I was just surprised by how little he had to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I suppose maybe that's just me asking for too much, but mm-hmm. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. But do you want to get into that final climax of the movie where the Confederates sort of get to the farm and. Yeah. So, um, so the Confederates are slowly approaching and the family isn't sure what to do. And um, Josh decides to go and fight. And um, much to the dismay of his mom, even though his dad will, Gary Cooper basically will support him no matter what. Um, so he finds himself on the front line of the battle and he I just like this scene too because for Anthony Perkins it really showed his like his conflict he you know because he kind of waits to fire everyone's shooting and he's he doesn't kind of doesn't know what to do and then it's only after like he sees like his men getting hit that he hits back and then what happens is Jess goes to look for Josh after they see like the horse that he took came back and the Confederates arrive. And I thought this scene was really interesting too because Eliza shows them, you know, the title Friendly Persuasion. She kind of greets them with kindness. Mm. And they, they um, the Confederates are almost, you know, bewildered at this like they're not you're not gonna fight back they're not used to it and I yeah think they're not used to like the gentility yeah it's it's a very hmm. I think I don't know it, it sounds like I'm running in circles because this movie is simple I, I think it it deals with common themes I think it per, per projects its story in a very easy way to follow that isn't trying to be overly complex or complicated and as for the ending, yeah, I mean, as I was saying, you, you have these people in the 1860s who don't expect violence and get it at the last minute when, when it's shocking. And you have this dynamic here where they're doing the opposite of what um, mm-hmm. a normal person would do. A normal person would either get scared and try to hide or run away or fight back. And even though Josh has ideas of fighting back and, and is conflicted between those things, and you see in Anthony Perkins' eyes... That he is just so yeah. lost. Um, their eventual agreement and ability to sort of control the situation with this friendliness is odd, um, but believable considering the state at which the family was um, and the tone of the film. Yes. It feels very literary. Um, yes. And, and that was very based on a book. Like the way that the score it feels and the way that the scenes are put together feels like it's a book <laughs> yeah no it's it's a very like almost like wholesome like pre-little house on the prairie yeah have you seen sometimes a great notion i have not it is a paul newman directed movie it's pretty forgotten i'm i'm not surprised that i'll have to write people... it down sometimes a great notion it was pretty good it's a paul newman movie um it kind of has undertones of this it's about a family uh, who cuts down logs, wood in like a California forest for a living. And 
they're threatened when there are union strikes going around when they just want to peacefully cut down their wood and it is more of a family tragedy drama mm. more, it, it, it's not as playful as this but it is very literary in, in it the way the scenes are put together and the way the cinematography looks feels similar um, but I recommend that one I know about it because it got a supporting actor nomination oh okay um, yeah who was but, the supporting actor uh Richard Jekyll I really liked his performance, okay. but it's a 1971 family drama that not as pleasant and family-like <laughs> as this. Um, it's more violent and there are more graphic images, but it reminded me of this in its tone and sort of what it was trying to deal with and the interruptions that cause these stable families uh, to undergo either stress or pain or confusion. Yeah. Do you have anything else that you want to bring up? I know that was quick, but I don't have much to say about it overall. I think it's just kind of a nice movie that knows what it wants to be, that isn't anything too striking, and it, maybe it's a little too long. Uh, but overall, I think it works okay. I think it's pretty good. Yes. Uh, um, you know, it's a, it's a good film. And I always think back to a, a director that I had in school who, you know, said there's nothing wrong with good. You know, it, yeah. it's a positive word. It doesn't have to be great. Good, good on its own is a great thing. Um, and that's what I really enjoyed about the film is that it, um, it is by no means the best work out of everyone in the film, writer, actors, director included, but it is part of their good work because there is such power in the subtleness of everything. Like you, there's, yeah. l- there doesn't need to be action because we can see all the internal subtlety and the uh, inner conflicts that are arising out of everyone. And, you know, it's a nice change of pace, especially from the other films that are nominated like that year. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting because, I mean, I don't agree that it's subtle in its themes. I think it's it's very apparent. Not oh, in your, yeah, yeah, not yeah. In your face. Definitely. But not hard to pick up on. But it is, like, kind of... I think I, mean, I meant, I don't like, know no if, action. I think you mean, like, just simple. Yes. Um, and just very... It, it knows what it wants to be. It just wants to be a straightforward, nice movie. Yes. Which I, which I think is part of the reason why it was nominated for Best Picture. Because yeah. it does have a lot of important themes that are very easy to pick up on and it is a mostly pleasant experience yeah um so it it is a very easy film to just say oh yeah like that was that's we can we can nominate that for best picture um Mm -hmm. that that was a nice movie that we think is relevant enough so i i get why people liked it and why it was nominated even if i don't think it's anything particularly striking but as you said there's nothing wrong with good yeah but yeah, no, I have shockingly nothing else to add about the movie. Uh, <laughs> no, what I mean, do you like any of the performances specifically? Or um, I really enjoyed um, the three, I guess you can call them like the three leads. You know, I liked Gary oh, Cooper. Yeah. I liked Dorothy McGuire. And I was really, uh, not that I was surprised, but I really liked Anthony Perkins. This is yeah, only his Anthony second Perkins. film too. So it was great just to see him in something that's also not Norman Bates. 
yeah, it's good to see him in things that he isn't super well known for, despite the fact that this is what he got nominated for. I know. It's his yeah. only nomination. His only nomination. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I like Dorothy McGuire. Again, the these and thys were yeah. jarring, but worked well enough. And I the think only, yeah, they're the all, they all work well together. With with her, I like her in the film, but you know, doing the research I was looking at so apparently um gary cooper i wanted ingrid bergman she passed on it uh weiler approached katherine hepburn in for the role she passed on it and then i read somewhere that vivian lee and maureen o'hara tested for it so i am so curious to see what this film would look like with one of those four women in that role me too. Because I feel like Catherine Hepburn would have made it more melodramatic. Yeah. And I feel like Maureen O'Hara would have brought like this like feisty kind of, mm. I don't know, like I, I get like Catholic school teacher vibes from her. So. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So, but I, I don't know. I just, again, Gary Cooper. He kind of looks like James Stewart on the poster that I'm looking at. Oh, oh I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, maybe. Um, the other, yeah, maybe. Not as much to do, but none of them are bad. I yeah. don't have any problems with The funny answers. thing I think about that, about what I read was that also like Gary Cooper was like, he, you know, he was reluctant to take a, uh, a role with not a lot of action, but also he didn't think um, his fans would believe him as like the father of grown children, which I always <laughs> thought was funny, especially because ironically, at the time, he had a daughter who was like 20 years old. Yeah. So it's like, it's interesting. Just the when like actors choosing the roles for them and everything. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's information that doesn't really hold, like get, well, re- it isn't known today, um, yeah. how the fans react to this stuff. So I'm yeah. always interested in hearing that kind of information. But I mean, I, from what I read, it did well at the box office. Yeah, it did well at the box office. Critics liked it enough. Um, I just think that, which ties into the question that I'm going to ask you. Um, what, so what, why do you think, aside from the obvious competition of big movies like Around the World in 80 Days, The Ten Commandments, Giant, like, and The King and I, other than the, the fact that those movies are obviously bigger and more seen, why do you think that this film went home empty-handed, or do you not think there's another reason? Do you think that was the main reason? I think that was um, a major factor going into Oscar night. Um, however, I do think the film was marred a bit by the blacklist of it all. Yeah. You know, the, the... Yes, that was that sparked some controversy. Yeah. So just. Just in short, basically the screenwriter was Michael Wilson, who um, was blacklisted before the film had come out. And what had happened was Allied Artists who produced the film, basically all the studios had this agreement where if you were, if you had refused to testify against Congress, they could pull your name and remove your credit. So Mm. ironic, so interestingly enough, Friendly Persuasion is one of like the only films that doesn't have a screenwriter credit on screen. Mm. And yeah, and at the Writers Guild, 
I remember they tried, I read somewhere that they tried to get someone else to be credited for it, but they so, denied it. Weiler's brother. Yeah. Weiler had his brother Robert and Jessamine West, who revised the screenplay. He tried to get them credit. The Writers Guild said no. Actually, Michael Wilson did a lot more of the work. He contributed more, so he should get sole credit. Hence why I think he, they, this film won the Writers Guild Award. I yeah. think that had to do with the win more so than the film itself. Maybe. And, but it, what's, here's what's funny is that, so Wilson wrote the original screenplay back when Capra was in the film involved because I was doing some research and somebody was selling a copy of the screenplay and mm -hmm. it was a final draft and it said written by Jessamine West and Robert Weiler. Uh -huh. So I was like, it, it, it's very, the whole situation Confusing. is very murky. And then I was reading about like, I mean, we'll go into it, but like the Academy Award nomination, the film was nominated for adapted screenplay. However, the week before the nominations, the Academy revised its bylaws where um, a film can be nominated, but the individual could be not. Yeah. Be ineligible. So strange. So, so what they said was that on the final ballot, you couldn't vote for friendly persuasion. It wasn't, it, there were only four films on the list. Which is nuts. It's so weird. And then, so I really think that yeah. was definitely a major player on why it didn't win. It had to be. Yeah. Because um, I think not, if not, then it, it could have won adapted screenplay. I think so too. I think it actually would have. Um, I'm like I, I'm like 75, 25. I think the power of Around the World in 80 Days that at that time wouldn't have stopped it, but I think it would have given it a big fight. Yeah, it would have. Yeah, but do you want to get into our questions that we were asked on Twitter? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, but I agree with you. I think that just regarding the Oscars that year too, Around the World in 80 Days, The Ten Commandment Giant, and The King and I were so much bigger than this. So much bigger. Like it, it just overwhelms you, like, in a good way and a bad way. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, like, it, it, the film was, like, it's not that it didn't have supporters. It got the, it got Best Picture and Director. So it's like, you had that. I think Gary Cooper had to have been sixth or seventh. He missed Best Actor. It's, I know he was nominated, yeah. he was nominated at the Globes, right? But, um, I think so. But I, he was definitely six or seventh. And I bet you like, I bet you six, seven, eight, nine, ten was probably like Gary Cooper, Charlton Heston in Ten Commandments, yeah. Paul Newman and someone up there likes me, somebody up there likes me. And I'm trying to think who else was that year. Like Burt Lancaster and the Rainmaker. That, they were all probably on the verge of the nomination. But I think the power of like Giant and the King and I put all those guys over the edge. Yeah. And I think Dorothy McGuire was probably very close to a Best Actress She was too. Well. I'm surprised that Elizabeth Taylor didn't get a Best Actress nomination for Giant. Me so too. I wonder, I wonder like where they fell in the lineup too. Yeah, another tight race that yeah. is filled with some not great performances. So yeah. that's another story. Do you, do you think um, Perkins had a shot at supporting actor? No. Well, 
we can we'll get into that after okay. the question. Yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah. All right. So Gabe Gorin asks, how and why did it win the Palm Door? Uh, no clue. <laughs> the only thing I could think of is that people really enjoyed its message and the people in it. Or maybe, so Marty, I believe, won Best Picture the year before. Yes. Um, and that movie also won the Palm Door. And maybe they were like, oh, we'll become an Oscar predictor now. So oh they gave God. this movie that award, thinking that this would be a big Oscar player. And that yeah, they would be able possibly. to predict it. I know that's not true, because obviously the Cannes Film Festival does not want to be the Academy Awards. But yeah, I'm trying to think. <laughs> it would be who, funny. Were there any like American films that year? Like, what, well, let me see. I looked at the list and I couldn't really recognize any of the films. So the only ones, like just taking a glance at it right now, the films that were competing that year, I've only heard of The Bachelor Party, which was Delbert Mann, who did Marty, and Funny Face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, yeah, so I don't, I just, maybe they really like the message. I, I also read somewhere that in the 80s, um, Reagan, uh, Ronald Reagan gave a copy of Friendly Persuasion to Gorbachev as like a mm-hmm. like a olive branch peace offering hmm. so you know it's like all about the effects of like you know using like peace instead of violence so maybe maybe they just really like that message yeah I assume so <laughs> and then next few questions just like I think we've covered this about like performances and like any style parallels? I said sounder. Um, um, so I, I think of um, Sergeant York, which Gary Cooper won a Best Actor Oscar for, mm-hmm. which is, you know, he, he's, he's a pacifist, but he's enlisted in World War I to fight, or he's drafted, I think. Um, so he's got that conflict about fighting. And then even recently, uh, Hacksaw Ridge with Andrew Garfield. Oh, yeah. And then um, this one, a little, this one's a little more far-fetched just because of the father-son relationship during war. I thought of the movie, The Patriot with Mel Gibson and Heath these, com- these comparisons are just to awful films. I, I know. <laughs> Don't hate me. <laughs> but yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. I think it does have that American yeah, uh, religious. Americana kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but do you want to just get into the categories themselves? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so our first is Best Sound Recording, and it was nominated alongside The Brave One, The Eddie Dushin Story, The Ten Commandments, and the winner was The King and I. So would you give Friendly Persuasion the win for Best Sound? Um, no. <laughs> I, no. I do The King and I. Yeah, or Ten Commandments. Yeah, oh yeah. I, I Not, like this I like the score though, so I mean you know. Yeah. And then best song. Um <laughs> not very knowledgeable in these song categories, but the song from the movie, which is called Friendly Persuasion The I Love, um, was nominated alongside Julie from Julie, True Love from High Society. Uh, written on the wind from written on the wind 
and que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, from the man who knew too much. Um, I'll be honest, I don't know any of these songs, so... You don't know que sera, sera? And that song, yes. Yeah. But the rest, like, I don't even remember the Written on the Wind song. It's, it's in the beginning of the film. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I, I, I like that movie. I, I'm, oh, Dorothy I, Malone is one of my favorite movie. supporting actress wins. Yes, and that movie should have been nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Over this. It's not my, my favorite Cirque film is All That Heaven Allows, but Written on the Wind is up there. I think mine is Imitation of Life. That's a good one, too. Yeah. But, but yeah, yeah I, love, I would give it. I would give that the that the win, I guess. Yeah. I, I would go for Que Sera, Sera. It's just, I mean, even nowadays, that, that song is still it's an American standard. Um, yeah. So I think it's lasting impact is still there. To V I Love, I had never heard of, but apparently it was a huge hit when the movie yeah. came out. So. Could have won that too. Yeah. But I, I, would, I would stick with Que Sera, Sera. Yeah. And then I think our next categories are the ones that I care about. <laughs> um, adapted screenplay. It was nominated alongside Baby Doll, Giant, Lust for Life, and the winner was Around the World in 80 Days. I'm, listen, the devil works hard, but Mike Todd works harder. <laughs> I mean, Around the World in 80 Days, I mean, I, it's a popular book, but I mean, was there much to adapt? I mean, I think that here's the thing. I think that movie... I would understand giving it director. I would understand giving it cinematography, even picture. But even what about like the writing? Yeah, anything like what about the writing of the film is so special? That's such an odd win to me. It, it's, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, it's strange. Uh, but would you give Friendly Persuasion the win alongside? Um, yeah. Yeah, I would. That's I would one. not. <laughs> I would give it to either Giant, oh, Giant or yeah. Lust for Life. For, why wasn't Lust for Life nominated for Best Picture? That that was probably close. I, I feel like there were a lot of films that were just on the border yeah. of that. Like, oh, well, Lust time. for Life was a failure at the box office. Maybe oh, so maybe that had to do it. with it. But I don't know. I would have put it in there. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, best, giant. yeah, giant is great. great. Best supporting actor, alongside Anthony Perkins, you have Don Murray for Bus Stop, Mickey Rooney for The Bold and the Brave, Robert Stack for Written on the Wind, and Anthony Quinn was the winner for Lust for Life. So, what are your thoughts here? Um, I like Anthony Perkins. Like, I really like him in the film. I. I don't know if I'd give him the win, though. No, me neither. Yeah. I'd give it to Robert Stack. Oh, that, that movie is so good. So good. And he's so good in it. He's great. And if not him, then I'm, give, I'm sticking with Anthony Quinn. Yeah, I would stick with Quinn, too. Yeah. Not a great category. It's, it's weird for such a great year for films. It's like, that's your list for supporting actor? I know. Ridiculous. You can say <laughs> the same for actors, but with, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was the only acting nominee for it. Yeah. Interesting. I think the even though Cooper's not nominating that, the actor lineup is pretty strong. Yeah. Like, I like that both of the men in Giant got in. I agree. 
they're also both very attractive. <laughs> so that helps. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But other than Dorothy Malone, I'm not too passionate about any of these. Um, I like Eileen Hecker in the bad I I'm not as big on that performance. No. As everyone seems to be. Yeah, I, I like her. I don't love her as much as everyone else. Like, I know some people would give her the win. I wouldn't give her the win, but I like the performance. But, um, I mean, for me, Dorothy Malone is hands down yeah, far no, ahead. Yeah, she's so good. But, um, yeah, like, I don't... Mercedes McCambridge is, like, it's, she's okay. Um, Ali McCormack. Yeah. As Rhoda. She's the lead. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's only because she's a child. Yeah, of course. You know, she's got the like the Tatum O'Neill factor there. Of course. Yeah. But yeah, no, not much of interest in these acting categories. Yeah. Yeah. But best picture and director. So for picture, William Wyler was nominated alongside Michael Anderson for Around the World in 80 Days, Walter Lang for The King and I, King Vider for War and Peace, and the winner was George Stevens for Giant. So would you give William Wyler the win? I would not. I'd stick with George Stevens. Same. Yeah. I haven't seen War and Peace. I'm sorry, I didn't watch that no, four-hour I didn't film. watch that one either. <laughs> four-hour film. Um, I am um, surprised, though, that he, like, um, that, you know, with the correlation from picture and director, that Cecil B. DeMille didn't get the best director nominee. He's the well, one Cecil that Cecil B. DeMille was a bad director, and we need to accept that. So... <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not mad about that. <laughs> I just think it's interesting. Because I, yeah, I, so I could have seen a situation where Wyler is the one that's missing. A hundred percent. Because it's the least showy of the five. Yeah. No, I George Stevens. The power deserved. of William Wyler. Yeah. And then Best Picture is pretty similar. It's yeah. alongside it's Giant, The King and I, The Ten Commandments, and The Winners Around the World in 80 Days. This is such an unenthusiastic group. There are so many movies that could have been there. Like, I mean, you said Lust for Life, Written on the Wind, even like The Searchers, which yeah. came out that year. Um, uh, what else? Honestly, I know that it's a short film, but the fact that it won original screenplay leads me to believe that The Red Balloon like should have won Best Picture. That movie should have won Best Picture. I'm sure that that probably might have even been... Uh, I don't know if it was it's so weird though like was that eligible for best oh, picture yeah you're right because like you don't know because but it's eligible for a screenplay it doesn't really make sense yeah and then what else was there somebody up there likes me um what's it high society I don't think and maybe baby doll was close I don't because it did get a lot of nominations I don't know but it's just like everyone was really into like the epics yeah I don't think and you see that a lot there. You see that a lot in this time. Yeah. I do think it's interesting. I read somewhere that this was the first year that all five Best Picture nominees were in color. Right. So that's interesting to note. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. No, but Giant should have won. Yeah. Out of, I, out I, of this group, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm leaning, uh, you know, cause I watched all five um, to prep for this, and I would say giant i like king and i and ten commandments but i think giant is far and far ahead i'd say giant is my favorite followed by 
the king and I, then the Ten Commandments, then friendly persuasion, and then around the world in eighty days. Here's the thing about around the world in eighty days. Yeah, it works really well as like a background. Like if you're having guests over mm-hmm. or if you're at a party and like yeah. there's a big TV or screen, put it on and turn the sound off because it looks beautiful and yes. you get to see all these locations. But like as a movie, as like a narrative with <laughs> characters and as a film, it does not work. It yeah. only works as like a pretty backdrop, but not as a film. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's like, I, I, it really has an achievement in the production design, the costumes just the overall location overall yeah and i know there was a lot that played into its win in that you know it was shot on location um they employed like i think it was i think there's over like a thousand extras like there's so many there were like a hundred sets 150 like different costume designers you know this film practically invented the cameo so all these celebrities were in it so i really think this was the award just for achieving all these kind of feats, not yeah. so much the film itself. That and you had Mike Todd, who was a Broadway producer, who kind of like knew how to like run a campaign almost. Yeah. Like, and he really, I would argue, I guess this is like one of the first Oscar campaigns. And I'm sure it didn't hurt that he was married to Elizabeth Taylor at the time. <laughs> Probably yeah. hurt her more well, than him. Everyone was married to Elizabeth Taylor at some point. <laughs> uh, but I think here's the thing with Around the World in 80 Days that also is odd. So the film at the Golden Globes, which obviously not reliable, weird. So yeah. one best motion picture drama at the Golden Globes. Uh-huh. But Canteen Floss, I think is how you pronounce Canteen Floss, yeah. One comedy musical actor. That's weird. What? How does that work? I don't, again... The Golden Globes don't make sense. Yeah, especially during this period where they're not so much in a line with the Oscars. Uh-huh. But it's weird to see, like, I'm curious if Around the World in 80 Days had competed in comedy or musical, would it have beat The King and I? And then what would have won drama? Yeah. Because I don't think, I'm just looking at it now really quick. It beat out Giant, Lust for Life, The Rainmaker, and War and Peace. Mm-hmm. I think maybe Giant or Lust for Life would have won because it's funny the two the two Giant actors didn't get in there. No. So maybe, but Kirk Douglas won for Lust for Life. So which makes me think maybe they enjoyed Lust for Life more. So who knows? I don't know. It was confusing, but that's yeah. the Globes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. But I don't know. I wouldn't give Friendly Persuasion any award. Then you would give it screenplay? Um, I, I'd probably do Giant, honestly. Yeah. If I yeah. go looking back, yeah. it's. I, I like the fact that, like, I, from what I read, I believe they adapted the screenplay from, like, it's just a section of the book. Mm. So I think that's interesting. It kind of reminds me of, like, I don't know if you remember, like, the TV movie Game Change about like the 2008 election was on HBO. They basically took like one chapter, which was like the uh, John McCain, Sarah Palin uh, uh, election campaign and made mm. that the whole movie. So it reminded me of that. And like, I, it's a, you know, it's not an easy feat, but I think I would just, honestly, Giant is such like an epic that, I mean, I would just throw the awards at it. Yeah, I think it's really good. 
And I liked and it. it. And it would have made sense if it won Best Picture, too. Oh, totally. Like, and we wouldn't have this talk about, like, around the world in 30 days, all, huh. You know, yeah. but I think also around the world in 30 days, if I'm correct, wasn't that, like, the top uh, number one film at the box office? Probably. I think it was, it was up there. So I, I think that plus the um, extensiveness of everything about it is really what catapulted it to the win. I'm looking it up right now. Highest grossing films of 1956. I know Giant okay. was a big player too. Well, the, the Ten Commandments was yes. the most, followed by Around the World in 80 Days, okay. followed by Giant, yeah. followed by The King and I. So the four highest grossing films were Best Picture, yeah. and then Friendly Persuasion didn't make top 15. Interesting. There, there you go. That, that has something I know, to say I about it. Giant was like Warner Brothers' like biggest film until like Superman, like twenty years later. Yeah, it was so, so big. Yeah, so I think the box office, the popularity of those films, had a lot to do with it, especially around the world in eighty days. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, but any more comments on Friendly Persuasion or? Um. No, I mean it. You know, if somebody wants to check it out, don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a pleasant experience. So, I mean, I would recommend it. I, I, I would recommend it to people, but it wouldn't be the first film from some of the people that are in it I'd recommend. Yeah. That makes sense. Like for yeah. Weiler, Cooper, even Michael Wilson did the screenplay for A Place in the Sun. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it's a part of their great works, but I wouldn't say it's their greatest work. But I mean, don't be afraid if you, you know, just check it out. No, and if you're an Oscar person and want to seek these out, go for it. Yeah, this definitely is one that you won't mind. Yeah. It's not going to be a slug. Yeah. Well, where can people find you with regards to social media? Maybe you can explain what you do on TikTok. Yeah. So uh-huh. um, I run the TikTok account Real Gold Rundown, R-E-E-L. And um, I love, we just make, I make videos about, uh, classic movies, classic movie stars, some Oscars trivia, um, and, you know, just delving into the world, celebrating and remembering these films and actors and why people should still remember them. So you can follow that on TikTok and on Instagram at real, R-E-E-L, Gold Rundown. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at MattDuffy33. Um, for more film opinions and fun tweets like that. Yeah. Well, I am on Twitter at Sam the Parasite and Letterboxd Sam Meltzer. Please review and rate this podcast on whichever podcast service you use. Thank you all for listening. Thanks. Okay. Well, if you could hit stop recording.